First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Amen. Well, I get the privilege to introduce Steve Thompson and his wife, Carol. They're missionaries down in Ecuador. Um, back in 2005, I had the privilege to go down there the first time I met Steve. And I can tell you as a pastor what an incredible example of God's faithfulness and how he has used the Thompsons in a powerful way in Ecuador. Um, they're with the Global Outreach International. And uh, one of the things when I was asking Steve this morning, how many church plants have you guys had an opportunity to be a part of? He said there's uh, been 35 church plants. Stephen Carroll's been there for 35 years. Made me think a lot of what God has led the vision for us with greater things, one per year almost, that God has used them to impact the nation of Ecuador. I could tell you every time we take a group down there, one of the highlights that I always hear from everybody that goes down there is just to hear the God stories as Steve shares with us, to see somebody who has been faithful with their life. When I think of that Ephesians 2.10, it says that we're God's ambassadors. God uses us to do great things that he's already prepared in advance. He's already prepared what he has done with, with Steve and Carol, but they've just been faithful day, day in and day out. And so for me, you've heard me say many, many times that our life is like a book. Every day is a page. Every year is a chapter. But if somebody was to read your book, would they see the gospel all over it? I can't think of a greater example than Steve and Carol and what God is doing with them. Church, I'd like you to welcome Steve Thompson as he comes and brings the word of God. Good morning, church. What a privilege it is to be here this morning as we have had a chance to worship in song. We've prayed. We've had our offering time. We've been hearing about missions. We talked with Brother Larry and his wife. What a great, great thing that we've already experienced together as the body of Christ. And as I sat waiting for my time to get up, I, I'm just going to tell you I was itching to get up. Because you see, my call to missions is alive today as it was when God put his hand on me when I was 12 years old. Because I was a boy in a camp and I heard God's voice speaking to me saying, I want to call you out, son, and I'm going to use you in missions. I will share one quick thing as I'm going to just tell you a little bit about who we are. But I remember that day that I was called to missions. I went back to my home church, a little church in South Texas. I was living in Harlingen, Texas, right close to the Mexican border. And I walked down the aisle of the little wooden uh, floor church and I got down to the front and I surrendered to missions in front of the entire congregation and the pastor put his arm around me and just said after the closing prayer we're going to all come forward and issue this young man the right hand of Christian fellowship and as all the people started coming by and shaking hands with this little 12 year old boy standing right in front of the pulpit one of the deacons came over and put his arm around me and leaned down he had a real gruff voice and he said God doesn't call boys like you to the mission field he had the gift of encouragement, and I, um, but you know, God doesn't call boys like that. He begins to prepare, because he does not call out those that are equipped. He equips those that are called, and he began to do a work in my life. And so I stand before you today just telling you that God has called us all, and he has called us with his voice. His first call to us is to a call of sonship. And then he calls us into a call of service. What a great thing it is to serve the living God and to be a part of what he has done. God has blessed me and my wife 
as we have served together. Carol was down here at the front with me just for a few minutes as the song service was going. And then she slipped out. She's speaking in Sunday school this morning. So she's not with us right here in the service. But I tell you what, Carol and I have spent our lives together. We have celebrated 48 years of marriage back in December. God has kept us faithful to each other and faithful to his call. The years on the mission field have been great. And we have seen many, many, many ways that God has blessed Many of you know that we are involved in church planting. As church planting and church developers, we get to see the churches grow from its inception and growing all the way into a mature church that's sending out leadership into other areas and starting churches. Doug shared with you that we have had the opportunity of participating with about 35 uh, new church starts that are now constituted churches. But I'm now working with an entire group of pastors that are church planting pastors and churches. And they're beginning about another 50 to 60 churches right now. And so I get to serve alongside of them. I'm not the, the key church planter, but I get to be a resource to those that are out in the field doing church planting. Carol and I are specifically still involved in a church plant. And so the opportunity of service continues to grow. During those years of seeing how God was moving, we were beginning to see how we would best be able to meet the needs of the people in church development. And so we have started what is camps and conference programs. We have camps and conferences out in the jungle camps, out in the jungle and also in the mountains. We have an opportunity also with seminary education, and I'll talk to you about a little bit about that. But this morning as I share God's word, which is the purpose that we're here, isn't it, to hear what God has to say to us, I'll share some illustrations about what God is doing in our area, but really I want to hear what God has to say to me this morning. It's a blessing as I prepare to be able to speak and be able to open God's word to see the way that he renews within me that which he planted years ago, because what he is doing in my life is an ongoing thing. You see, my testimony, I can talk about what I was before Christ, and I can talk about what happened when he came into my life as a child. I can talk about what he has done in the past, but you see, what I need to remember is my testimony is ongoing. Everything that happens today needs to be, what is God doing today in my life? Because we as Christian people many times will rest on what has taken place in the past and not look forward to what he is doing in the future. He wants to use us now and we need to be prepared servants. This morning as we look at scripture, I'd like to start off looking in 1 Timothy and I'd like to talk to you about several things. We're going to be really studying principally in 2 Timothy. But I want to, do it to start here in 1 Timothy. As God speaks through his word, speaking through his servant. Paul speaks to his son in the faith. And in chapter 1, verse 2, he says, A true son in the faith, Timothy. He writes to him and he urges them, him to make sure that he charges others to teach good and sound doctrine. Now, with that in mind, we're going to start looking at and seeing what it means to reach into the fourth generation, because that's the title of the sermon, if I had to put a title on it. It's reaching out to the fourth generation. Now, when Paul preached, he preached to large groups of people, but he also invested just like his Lord, the Christ Jesus that we serve and we are part of through the body of Christ, Paul invested in individuals. And one of those individuals was Timothy. And what we see is that Paul really invests in a young man and gives him very specific instructions. And he writes to him two specific letters that we have, 1st and 2nd Timothy. 
Now we're going to look and we're going to see that some of these things that he writes, he writes with a purpose of saying, Timothy, I cannot just invest in you. I must invest in you in a way that you become a discipler of disciplers. Now when we look in the scripture and we begin to see all the ways that God wants to use us, we're going to find out that it is not sufficient only for us to come to know him. We must serve him. And we must learn about him and be discipled by him. As that scripture begins to impact us and penetrate our hearts, not only will we be discipled ourselves, but we will have a desire to disciple others. Now, as I look and I think about the importance of reaching the fourth generation, I'll explain to you what I mean and how I see it on the mission field. And we're going to read about this in scripture. When I first went out into the mission field and I got out into some of the most remote parts of the jungle, I had taken an adventure trip in a canoe, traveled three hours downriver in the Napo River to get to the Peruvian border. As I traveled, God began to break my heart and I began asking the question, who is going to preach the gospel to these people in these remote villages? So I traveled back about two months later and went with a friend who began to inform me. And we stopped in places where the gospel had gone in. 20 years before. And when we walked in, we found no believers. The little buildings that had been built had rotted to the ground. No one was gathering and worshiping the Lord. And I asked the question, what's wrong with this picture? What has happened? And as my missionary partner that I work with all the time, Jorge Rodriguez and I, we went into a time of prayer and said, Oh, Lord God, we have seen what we... Our field is, and we're beginning to analyze and look, and we've seen where the gospel has gone before, but what's happened? And God took us to Scripture to be able to understand that many times what happens is we lose sight of what is going on, and we do not understand that our real task we find in 2 Timothy. If you'd look with me, please, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Because right here, this is what God took us to as we were looking at some of the struggles and we were seeing the reality of the field of service. Here in chapter 2, this is what Paul speaks. And as he is speaking to Timothy, his son in the faith, he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach to others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must first partake of the crops. Consider what I say and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Boy, there's an entire uh, seminary worth of information right here. We're just going to look and try to understand. Paul is saying the importance of reaching the fourth generation. You see, within our churches, we uh, begin to share the gospel. We go in. Uh, Carol many times has asked the question, how many of your people hear about a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ for the very first time? And the answer really is all of them. All of them have a form of religious activity. They are fervent in their, some of their belief systems, but they do not know Christ. 
And all of a sudden we share Christ with them. And we're excited when we see the living Lord coming within, living within them, the Holy Spirit, making a difference in their lives. But you see, they also need to go out and tell others. But we don't have to tell them that because the Holy Spirit dwells within them. One of the things we always say is, well, if there's one common thing that we can say about Ecuadorians is when they come to know Christ, they can't keep their mouths shut. They've got to go tell somebody. They'll tell their cousin, their aunts, their uncles. They'll go out and they'll spread the gospel with their family and with their friends very, very quickly. And you see, they're completing part of this of reaching the fourth generation. But what we've noticed is, as these people come to know Christ and they come with this fervency, they bring their children up in the nurturing of the Lord. Those children are faithful to the Lord and they continue to teach and they preach. But now you come to that third generation. And they're a little bit nominal. They're, they're, they're active. They go to church and, oh, they want to do the things that are right. They live well. And, but they're not teaching their children, that fourth generation. And all of a sudden you have a disconnect. And you see, this is where Paul was saying, I don't want a disconnect from the purest form of the gospel. We need to go back to the source. We all need to be in that first generation. Now, how can we all be first generation if we're fourth generation? Do you know in Ecuador when we first went in, we only had first generation Christians because none of them had known Christ prior to that. And when we were starting new churches, first generation Christians, oh, they were fervent. And you see, this is Paul. Paul, when he was an opposer to the gospel, when he was out against all of Christianity, all of the church, and yet God met him on the road to Damascus and he was trained, changed and transformed. He received his teaching from Christ Jesus himself. And then he went out into the field and he began to preach the gospel because he was drawn in by Barnabas. And Barnabas said, Paul, with this that you have, let's teach and preach together. And Paul began a dramatic and a dynamic ministry. As he did, he took on people to be his disciples and he met with Timothy. So when he says here, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. So this is first generation Paul speaking to second generation Timothy. And he says, I want you to commit these to faithful men. Now, who are they? They are third generation. You see, we receive it, we share it, and we teach those that we share how to share it with the next, those faithful men. Now, what are those faithful men going to be? They're going to be able to teach others also. So who are the others? They're fourth generation. Now, I'm going to look out and I'm just going to tell you this morning what I believe is we are the others. You see, we have been entrusted with a great gift. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. We have the gift of Scripture that we can take in our hands and read. We can understand that this Scripture speaks to us specifically and commands us to go out. But what are we commanded to go out and do? We're supposed to take that gospel message in the purest form of the purest doctrine and share it with faithful men. And what are those faithful men going to do? They're going to share it with others. The generation upon generation grows. But if I am not that first generation Paul... You say, I don't like to compare myself to Paul, but I'm just going to tell you, I think we all need to be that generation of Paul. We need to have that concept. The gospel is in my hands. What am I going to do with it? Now, a question I have for you this morning, and this may be a very personal, very, uh, very pointed question, but do you have a Timothy? Are you investing in someone who is going to invest in faithful men who are going to invest in others? If you're not, that you're not doing what God has instructed us to do. It's just plain and simple. 
We all need to have someone that's coming up behind us. You see, when I was in a church in East Texas, I was serving there when I was called, and it was an, an, an urgency call where Carol and I surrendered and left from the mission field in East Texas where I was serving there in First Baptist Church of Kuntz, Texas. How many have heard of Kuntz, Texas? No one. First Baptist Church of Kuntz, Texas. That's where I was serving. And all of a sudden, God called me. But, you know, I had a friend in, uh, in, at First Baptist Church, Kuntz, and it was a very interesting friendship. I had had many, many mentors. I had many people that I respected within my church. A lot of senior citizens. Boy, that's really interesting. Now I am one. But uh, I had senior citizens that, you know, I, I had a fellowship with and I enjoyed being with. We did things together. But one day I realized that John Castle was much more than just one of the many. John Castle was my friend. John Castle was someone who invested in me. John Castle was someone who cared for me. He was in his late 70s. And I was barely 30. And yet I had a friendship with someone who was mentoring me and leading me and guiding me in what was coming in the future. You see, I realized, oh my goodness, I need to do this with others as John Castle is doing this in me. Now, when I look and I see that I've been taken to the mission field and God is still saying to me, you be Paul and you find those young men and those young women that you're going to invest in. I'm going to tell you that's your job as a church today. As individuals, you need to take your faith, that which you know, and you need to teach it to others. Within the church in Ecuador, what we find many times is there will be young men that will come forward and they'll say, God's called me into ministry. And others will say, I don't feel called into a pastoral ministry, but I definitely feel called to share the gospel. One of the men in our church named Vicente, one day after we had studied this passage of Scripture, he was asking me on one of the Wednesday night Bible study times, question after question after question, and I was having to go deeper and deeper into Scripture, and finally I said, Vicente... you're wearing me out. I'm answering so many questions, but I I love the questions. And he said, well, you see, the thing is, is when you teach on Wednesday, I take your outline and I go to the prison and I have a prison ministry that I started every Saturday. Do you know that Vicente had never even been baptized yet? He was a brand new believer walking through his first days of discipleship. Now, who told Vicente to open a ministry in the prison? the true and living God that lived within him. He felt the urgency to say, I must be sharing. Now, how much did he know? His Bible knowledge was extremely limited. But what did he have? The power on high dwelling within him. And he took the little that he knew and he applied it and he went out and taught others. It's not what you know. It's not how much education you have. It's who lives within you. And he has commanded us as a church to be involved. And so I'm encouraging you as a local church, be the church that says, I will have a Timothy, every member ministering and investing in someone else. Be the person that's not just saying it's good enough for me to invest in one, but teach that person to invest in faithful people, faithful men and women that are going to continue that practice of teaching others. You see, I stand on that because people invested in me. They gave me an understanding of what it meant to walk in Christ Jesus. 
They gave me an opportunity to see scripture and understand all these things. But I want you to look here at the things as Paul was talking to Timothy. He said, Timothy, as you are teaching these that will be faithful witnesses, faithful men, being able to teach others, teach us. He gives a whole series of things that we're supposed to be teaching. First of all, he says, let me just look here because I don't want to get it out of order. He teaches us that we need to be good soldiers. Now, a soldier that stands in the army of God must present himself before his commander-in-chief. Now, when we present ourselves before our Lord God, he will call us into service. Now, we need to remember several things as we are called into service and we present ourselves before him. The battle is not ours. It is the Lord's. And yet, he will call us into areas of service where we are supposed to stand firm. He tells us right here that we need to anticipate there's going to be hardship. It's not going to be an easy task. He tells us we're not supposed to be entangled with the things of the world. How easy it is to become entangled. Now, I'm not talking that you can't have a job, that you can't be involved with your family or involved with your community, but anything that you're doing that is more important than your service to Christ Jesus becomes idolatry. Our service is to our Lord. The one who called us. And when we present ourselves before him, we need to be waiting on his call and his instruction. And we obey, and it doesn't matter. We obey the rules of engagement. And when he calls us out and he says, go and preach and teach to faithful men that they will share as a good soldier, what are we supposed to do? Obey. Complete the command. Be involved. And so when he tells this Timothy, I want you to do this as a faithful soldier. Being able to receive hardship. Be able to be separated from all the things of the world. To be able to deny yourself. Boy, that's a hard task. I'm going to tell you. Some people think, oh, well, you're a missionary. It must be easy for you to deny yourself. (laughs) Well, let me just tell you, the Christian walk is a daily walk. We confront this every single day we get up. Are we going to deny self and follow him? Or are we going to serve self? It's not something you deal with one time. You learn the principle one time, but you have to apply it every single day. Every single day you get up, you have to define, am I a soldier that will deny self to serve the one who is worthy? When he talks about the athlete, you see, he says to to him, I want you to remember that the athlete has to obey the rules or he is disqualified. Now, I I don't like to be disqualified from anything. Really, I don't. That, That bothers me. I don't like to be disqualified. I like to play by the rules. Well, how will I know what the rules of engagement are for the soldier as a good athlete and now serving the God who called me if I'm not in the book and learning from the book so that I understand what the rules are. When I was in East Texas, I was asked to be the, uh, uh, the coach of the Little League team of the community. They had won the state championship in Little League the year before, and I was asked to be their coach, and I thought, oh, this is going to be a disaster. And the guy who had been the previous coach came by, and he gave me the rule book, and he said, I need you to memorize this inside and out. You know every rule, because if you're not playing by the rules, you will lose. And you see, I learned a great deal from that because I hold within my hands today 
that which God has spoken to me on what I am supposed to be and do, how I am supposed to think, how I'm supposed to act, and yet if I am not reading it, if I am not a student of the Word, how could I possibly be a good athlete obeying the rules? To participate, I must know what he's teaching. And this is what Paul is telling his son in the faith. Timothy, as you're going out and you're looking for those faithful men that you're going to invest in, invest in them in such a way that they will have that same zeal and invest in others and we are the others. Not only that, he says, not only are you supposed to be a good soldier and a good athlete, but you need to be like the farmer. Now, the farmer works from sunup to sundown. He just doesn't have a time that he can sit back and rest. He prepares the soil and he casts the seed. Now, let, let's see if we can remember here. How many kinds of seed are there? I hold my finger up quick because I didn't want anybody to say four. There's just one seed. There's four different kinds of soil. And we have to get out there and we have to prepare the soil. The soil is different in different areas that we go to. Our methodology may be different, but how many messages do we have? One. And it's a message that comes from the heart of God. It is He who will transform lives. You see, I don't have the power or the, 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 the ability to transform people's lives. I can't change them. I can't even convince them. But the convincing of the Holy Spirit is sufficient. And all He asks me to do is be the proclaimer of the Word. Can you do that? Yes, you can. In your area of ministry, where you are, whether it be here, right here in Melbourne, whether it be in your state, whether it be in this country, whether it be across the, the ocean in other countries, whether it be right where I live in Ecuador, we can serve the Lord together by being faithful to be proclaimers of the gospel and teaching others to continue the work. I cannot complete his task. You see, he's given a task that is so great and so broad, but he can give me a particular area and say, fulfill your task. My task today is to have my Timothys, to teach them the importance of teaching it to faithful men and women, that those men and women may teach it to others, that the gospel might continue to be proclaimed the Scripture says that we are to be diligent. If we can look in our same Scripture here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord to strive without words, to no profit and ruin to the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Be diligent. Oh, my goodness, how important it is us for us to be diligent and not get tired and, and just sit down and say the task is too great. We need to understand, yes, the task is great, but he is greater. There are thousands all around me, and I'm talking about my sphere of influence. Thousands that live right around me that I have daily contact with. I'm held accountable for those people. And you see, you're accountable for your thousands and others for their thousands. And we reach out and all of a sudden we are responsible to continue to share the good news and expand it. But be diligent is an important factor. But it also says here in verse 20, In a house there is not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. Those who are called, call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, 
when we look here, we are called, and we are supposed to be like the soldier. We are supposed to be like the athlete. We are supposed to be like the farmer. We understand those tasks. But then he starts in some things that are talking about our character and how we are to complete that. And that's why he tells us that we need to be diligent and we need to be sanctified. And what a great thing it is to understand that when we are being sanctified, he gives us some instructions. And here in, in this verse, it says, flee, but pursue. If you would with me, just look back in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, looking at verse 11, we have an entire list of Scripture here that talks about this because, you see, Paul never got tired of repeating teachings. He, he knew that repetition was good for us. A repetition is really good for us. In the schools where our, my kids went to school there in Ecuador, it was a process of repetition. They memorized things and they repeated it one after the other. Why? Because the whole idea was get it buried in your brain so you don't forget it. And Paul didn't have any problem with that. He would teach, and he would teach again using the same words that he'd already used. And he never apologized for it. He said, I do it because I want you to understand. So he says here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue. Now, let me just tell you, as Christian people, we need to not be so worried about needing to flee if we're not pursuing I can need to explain that to you. When I'm in the jungle, uh, we have been in some precarious situations where we needed to flee. And when I said flee, we needed to run. And so we had to run and run fast. I found out quickly that if you run while looking over your shoulder, you trip and fall and you're in trouble. So when you're fleeing, what do you need to be doing? Looking ahead, pursuing something. I wanted to get to the canoe. That's what my, my goal was. I wanted to make it out of the village where I was in trouble and make it to the canoe and move downriver. That was important. And Paul says, I need you to flee, yes. He tells him the things to flee. But he says, I need you to pursue. You see, if we're not looking to the Savior, we're not seeing ahead of us that which we've been called to do, we can flee all we want and we may be running the wrong direction. We need to be running toward something. And that is what is important when we're reaching the fourth generation. Make sure that we're fleeing so that we are pure in heart, but make sure we are running in the right direction that others that are following in our footsteps will know where to run. And so he tells him right here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, and all of a sudden he repeats, fight the good fight. Now who's that? That's the soldier, isn't it? Fight the good fight. He says to him very clearly, I need you to lay hold of eternal life. Oh, that we might lay hold of that which is ours today and proclaim it to the nations. I have the good news that will transform men's hearts living within me. And I need to proclaim it day by day. When I think about the things that I am supposed to do, I'm going to challenge you as a church to be joining with me as we look to see how God might want to use us. He definitely will equip us. He definitely will call us. He definitely will use us. But I challenge you, church, as you look around at the millions around you, talking about the entire state here, and look at the millions and billions in other parts of the world, Is this one missionary going to take care of it? 
No. Are you by yourself going to be able to take care of it? No. Then what's his plan? He calls us out of sitting in our chairs and hearing the gospel and says, be people reaching the fourth generation and be unafraid to proclaim the gospel. Make sure you're teaching right and you have your disciples. You invest in those that are coming behind you and mentor so that they will select others to mentor, that they can reach the others with the good news of the gospel. Reaching out is important. And I'm going to tell you, the mission field will not be reached unless us, the others, are worried about are we going to be reaching the fourth generation. Whether here in Florida or whether in Ecuador, South America, our job is to share the good news. We've been sent out. We've been called. We've been told. And I pray that we'll be faithful in all things. When I served there in Ecuador, seeing how God was calling out young men and young women into, work, into Christian service, we began our seminary with the idea that we will have a seminary that will be disciplers of disciplers using this passage from 2 Timothy. I pray that that will be our task. Disciples of disciples, making a difference. Now, I, there's so many songs that have touched my life during all of my youth as I've grown up and as I've been blessed. But one of the songs that I remember that my father would sing, he would sing to me, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. Or mountain, or plain, or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. My father gave me a good example. He placed within me a passion for teaching others. I have my Timothys. I'm seeing faithful men being called out. And I'm seeing the way they're touching others. I come to you this morning with this message. And telling you that in Ecuador, South America, God is blessing us beyond measure. Will you please continue to pray for the mission field? Pray for your church. But as you pray, pray personally. Does God want me to be one of the people reaching the fourth generation. It's your opportunity to say, yes, Lord, I, I'll do that. Brother Pastor, I turn this to you.